0: Welcome to the What We Lost podcast. By mid-July, during testimony, before a parliamentary committee, politicians and bureaucrats all confirmed what We Charity had been saying from the beginning. The CSSG was not initiated by the charity, but by the government. There was no scheme to bail out the organization, But what should have been a dignified and sober minded pursuit of the truth on behalf of the Canadian people quickly devolved into a partisan circus with politicians like Charlie Angus and Pierre Polyev taking the lead. I'm Mark Luther King III, and this is the What We Lost podcast. This is the real story of those hearings that you did not see in the media. High and Dry. All the noise created by the media frenzy over every aspect of We Charity's activities left the organization, including its board of directors, overwhelmed and in a constant state of crisis management. Everyone was drinking from a fire hose, as the saying goes. As I noted in the introduction, it felt to me like a game of whack a mole with events popping up with ever-increasing speed, making it harder and harder to react quickly enough to stay ahead. Amid the chaos, however, we remained laser-focused on exiting the CSSG in a manner that would allow the program to carry on. It bowed out only after the government agreed to take over and run the program on its own. That should have been easy, according to Charlie Angus and Pierre Polyev. After all, they had suggested to the Canadians that the civil service was more than capable of designing and implementing the CSSG. And now, the hard work of building the digital infrastructure, hiring and training staff, and enlisting nonprofit partners had been done. All the government had to do was continue enrolling students, log their hours, and send them their checks. As part of the process of unwinding WE Charity's role in the program, ESDC issued a notice of termination of the contribution agreement on July 14th. At that point, WE had already agreed to waive its right to recoup eligible expenses it had incurred, such as the cost of setting up a call center, and acquiring the technology needed to run the web portal. A total of $30 million was sent to We, based on the ESDC process, Mark explained to the FINA committee on July 28th. As soon as this program was put into a political nature, we immediately decided that we would not be taking any of those funds. That was a decision that the organization made, we'd be losing approximately $5 million in the process. It was a very painful, difficult decision, but we felt under the circumstances that it was the right thing to do. At the same time, WE's executive team and accountants were eager to return the $30 million, funds that were meant to pay the students and cover the program cost, But ESDC asked the charity to hold off and await further instructions. All this bureaucratic red tape once again spiraled into a Kafkaesque nightmare for the organization. On August 11th, two weeks after we returned the first $22 million, Bardish Chagger, the minister responsible for the program, told the ETHI committee that she didn't know if any money had come back. We can share the details on the money that has been released. $30 million has been released to the organization through the contribution agreement, she said. I was not aware of how much money had been returned. Chagger's lack of knowledge regarding details of the CSSG once again cast We Charity in a bad light, exactly as had happened back in June when she failed to explain that the program didn't have a billion-dollar price tag and that the charity wasn't being paid but would only be reimbursed for its costs. This new era was especially maddening because we had wanted to return all the money immediately but was thwarted by the government's refusal to accept a funds transfer. It's been exceedingly difficult to send the balance of funds back to ESDC Mark explained to us at our September 3rd, 2020 board meeting. We are constantly being told that there's a certain course to follow to send the money back. However, they are not returning to us with the details and negotiations. So we made it a non-negotiable that we're sending the money back by this Friday, September 4th. Meanwhile, the organization was being inundated with media inquiries about the status of the funds, and social media was swirling with rumors that the Kilburgers were refusing to return the money. The day after Chaggers' comment, the charity released a statement to the media to explain that it had already returned three-quarters of the funds and was simply waiting for the green light to send the rest. The Toronto Star based on background provided by an unnamed official, said that the government was constrained by the complicated process of disentangling all the legal obligations associated with the program. In reality, what happened behind the scenes was not complicated at all. The government refused to accept the remaining funds until We Charity waived its right to sue for losses it had suffered. This was a pressure tactic, plain and simple. We believed that it might have valid claims against the government for breach of contract and even fraud. After all, the organization had been led to believe that others were competing for the CSSG. In other words, that it wasn't sole sourced and had relied on the government to manage its own conflicts. Plus, there was a concern about the charity's exposure to potential claims from third parties down the road. Effectively, the government was forcing the charity to keep the money until the organization agreed to release it from all liability. This was a gift to the opposition politicians and pundits who implied that Mark and Craig had stashed the money somewhere and were refusing to give it back. When we charity's chief operations officer Scott Baker, appeared before FINA on August 13th. The omnipresent, Pierre Polyev, demanded to know where the money was and then interrupted Baker when he tried to answer. Sorry, the question was where is the rest, he insisted. Where is it? In what account is it being held? Baker told him the remaining money was in a non-interest-bearing account and was not being accessed in any way. The government, however, still had not publicly confirmed receipt of the first $22 million, even though that money had been returned weeks earlier. We was left to twist in the wind. Eventually, exasperated and feeling both unfairly pressured by the government and unjustly maligned by the press, we threatened to make public that the charity was being asked to relinquish its legal rights. The government's lawyers then relented. In the end, the government took 62 days to accept Wee's request to return the funds. Also left high and dry in this process were the tens of thousands of students who had enrolled in the CSSG in the days immediately after its launch. The program appeared to be in limbo and no one from the government was communicating with participants or explaining next steps to the media. Meanwhile, we was flooded with complaints. Our team kept reminding them about all these angry emails we were receiving from students saying, I spent all this time to apply for this program. What's going on with it? Said Dalal. Given that everything we do revolves around youth empowerment, it was heartbreaking and frustrating to see. Finally, on July 28th, 25 days after we transferred responsibility for the program to the Civil Service, and two full months into the summer, ESDC provided some general messaging for the organization to share on the CSSG and We Charity Foundation websites. The Government of Canada is currently considering options for the Canada Student Service Grant, the message read. As such, applications for service opportunities and students are not currently being processed or accepted. The Government of Canada remains committed to supporting Canadians during this unprecedented time, including students and the not-for-profit sector. More information will be provided as soon as it is available. None of the numerous questions WE employees had been fielding from applicants were answered. And to my knowledge, no individual students were contacted directly. In a press briefing on July 31st, Trudeau was asked about the toll the CSSG had taken on WE Charity. Multiple news outlets noted that the organization's reputation had taken a nosedive, and that several corporate sponsors had withdrawn their support, all of which could have been avoided, had the Prime Minister simply recused himself. Trudeau expressed some regrets, but stopped short of acknowledging his role in damaging the charity. He also had no apology to offer the 30,000 students who had registered for the program and now had no jobs for the summer. Or the 70,000 others who could have participated had the program gone forward, and not a word was said to the 80-plus nonprofit organizations that had embraced the program to get much-needed volunteer support during COVID. The agreement between We Charity and the government was officially terminated on September 26 and the government never picked up the mantle, nor did it find any other organization to take on the program. The CSSG was done, and it stayed that way through the summers of 2020 and 2021. Opposition party politicians and the media seemed not to care about the loss to students, and to my knowledge, none of them publicly reflected on the fact that perhaps WE was the only organization capable of delivering the CSSG after all. The CSSG was clearly a failure, and it will forever be associated with WE Charity, Mark told me. But a failure by whom? The charity delivered exactly what was asked of it in building and launching the CSSG. The ethics commissioner would confirm that there was no undue influence by Trudeau, Murnau, or any elected official. So was the real failure the rush to judgment? There had to be an accounting of what happened and how things were allowed to be so horrendously misrepresented. But would that ever come? For now, a new political spectacle was about to begin, and Canadians had a front row seat. Back in Ottawa, parliamentary hearings got underway in mid-July. What should have been a dignified and sober minded pursuit of the truth on behalf of the Canadian people quickly devolved into a partisan circus. Most of the facts the opposition members said they were seeking came out in about 10 minutes of testimony from Bardish Chagger and were later confirmed by Rachel Wernick of ESDC and Ian Schugart, the nonpartisan clerk of the Privy Council and Canada's top civil servant. Everything that followed, two committees spanning, two parliamentary sessions, and nearly 10 months of testimony from a total of 63 witnesses was an exercise in theater that offered Canadians virtually nothing of value. The hearing certainly supplied fireworks and riveting drama. I'll grant that. And a great deal of ink was spilled recounting every blow. But to play the tape, as I have painfully done more than once, is to witness a lot of sound and fury with little relevance to the core question of whether there was anything improper in the decision to select We Charity to administer the CSSG. In short, it all resembled the contentious U.S. Congressional hearings that many of us are accustomed to, lots of grandstanding and speech-making, loaded questions and disrespect of witnesses, but no actual interest in answers or fact-gathering. To my mind, a lot of this can be explained by the fact that the hearings were broadcast nationally on CBC News Network during a pandemic that required everyone to stay home. Parliamentary hearings are usually pretty obscure, but this happened to be a moment in time when Canadians were consuming a lot of news coverage. For a politician looking for a profile boost, it was a golden opportunity. The FINA Committee started its work with a session involving Chagger and Gina Wilson, her senior associate deputy minister. In her opening remarks, the minister reminded everyone of the backdrop to the CSSG and just what was at stake. Post-secondary students and recent graduates, like all Canadians, were facing unprecedented challenges, she said. There was economic uncertainty, and it became apparent that there would be difficulties for students to find employment over the summer months. Employment, that would be crucial to helping them pay for school in the fall, pay down student debt, or pay for related expenses such as housing and utilities. Young people were, of course, not the only intended beneficiaries of the CSSG, The program was designed to be a two-way street, and Chagger also spoke of the plight of nonprofit organizations during the pandemic. We heard from many not-for-profits that they were struggling to provide services in their communities. Almost half of not-for-profits were having trouble finding volunteers at the same time that they were seeing an increased demand for their services. With public health guidelines requiring physical distancing, many not-for-profits needed to find new ways to engage volunteers while continuing to support their local communities within the context of COVID-19. In the long story of the We Charity scandal, this was the first and unfortunately the last time anyone would highlight the potential benefits of the CSSG for the participating non-profit organizations. After the minister concluded her introductory remarks, Pierre Polyev was given the floor, and he immediately assumed a combative and antagonistic stance that set the tone for almost everything that followed. In his very first question, he demanded curtly, What is the name of the public servant who recommended that we deliver the Canada Student Service Grant. Just the name, please. Things went downhill from there. And within minutes, Chagger was asking the chair to admonish the conservative MP for interrupting her answers and putting words in her mouth. At one point, when the chair asked him to move on, Polyev sniped, okay, she does not want to answer that question. For the most part, though, he followed a predictable line of inquiry. Did anyone speak to the Prime Minister's office? Did the Cabinet sign off on the agreement? Whose name was on the memorandum to Cabinet? How much money did we charity stand to make? Aside from the tone of righteous indignation, it was a worn-out recitation of opposition party talking points. We had seen the movie, but it played on anyway. When Polyev's time was up, there was at last a chance for some reasonable fact-based back and forth. There was plenty of testimony establishing that civil servants had concluded on their own that in the middle of a pandemic, there was simply no time for a competitive bidding process. Gina Wilson explained that a standard tender approach would have taken months, effectively eliminating the possibility of having an emergency support program for the summer. We determined at the time that a call for proposals, an open call, would take about two or three months at a minimum to actually get something in place, she said. An actual call for proposals would take several months to move forward with And we needed to get this program off the ground very quickly, because at the time of the pandemic, in the severity of the pandemic, students were graduating. When Shugart, a figure widely praised for his lengthy service to Canada under both conservative and liberal governments, appeared before the committee a few days later, he confirmed that there was no time to carry out a full-scale competitive process. I do know that early in the development of policy, meetings were held with a range of nonprofit organizations, voluntary organizations, and so on, he explained. We Charity was one of those consulted, I would say, at the front end of this. It was a wide open process. It is true there was no call for proposals. It is true there was no competitive process. I mentioned earlier that PCO, Privy Council Office, raised the question of the department, ESDC, and whether there should be or could be a competitive process. The answer was no, with reasons, and colleagues at PCO were satisfied that was the case. It may come as a surprise to many Canadians. It certainly surprised me, given the furor surrounding the CSSG, that it is not unusual for contracts of a comparable size to be awarded in the same manner. In fact, in the first few months of the pandemic, hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars were handed out to other organizations without competitive bids, with no hint of scandal. We Charity was not the only third party the government turned to during the pandemic crisis to support these public objectives, Schugart told the committee. It turned to the Canadian Red Cross, the United Way Centrade, and other organizations to provide the expertise and the reach that the public service does not itself have. This is a normal part of doing business. For example, through the Emergency Community Support Fund, Announced in April and launched in May 2020, the government made $350 million available to eligible community organizations, including the two Shugard mentioned, to serve vulnerable Canadians during the pandemic. But these sole source contracts elicited barely a peep from the opposition parties. On the issue of the prime minister's assertion that We Charity was the only organization in Canada with the ability to deliver the CSSG on the scale and schedule demanded. Rachel Warnick, the senior deputy minister with ESDC, and the person who first reached out to Craig back on that Sunday in April, confirmed that that was the case. Testifying immediately after the checker, Warnick said that she called we to explore options for a student service program because of the organization's previous work with her department. The third party program administrator needed massive speed, reach and scale, and an ability to quickly mobilize the whole country, Warnick explained. The third party needed a demonstrated track record of mobilizing youth for service and needed to be technologically strong. Some of the bodies we considered and set aside were small advocacy groups with no program delivery experience. Other organizations did not have experience with youth, nor did they have strong technological capacity. Many had never delivered a program of such complexity. I did engage We Charity as a potential partner letting them know the broad parameters of what the government was looking for. They were an obvious option as the largest youth service charity in Canada with high technological capacity and a Facebook following of 4 million youth. Once again, this testimony was confirmed by Schugart when he appeared before the committee a few days later. What we was able to provide, I understand, was the full range of services that would go to the heart of this matching program, that would put young people in contact with not-for-profits so they could gain the relevant experience, he explained. We had the ability to promote the program with a massive social media following and experience in other situations of matching young people to service opportunities. The department was not equipped to provide that. All this testimony belied the claims made by opposition politicians, the public service union, and others that just about anyone could have delivered such a massive program on an incredibly short timeline. James Cohen, the executive director of Transparency Canada International, told the National Post back on July 6 that he couldn't believe that nobody met the parameters set out by the government. Peter Dinsdale, the president and CEO of YMCA Canada, one of the groups the government had considered approaching before settling on WE, told CTV News, his organization was absolutely up to the job. But then he immediately backpedaled and added, It would have been tough, given the state of YMCAs across the country, given the impact of COVID, really fighting for basic survival. In normal times, this 100% would have been something we could have done. Of course, these weren't normal times, which was the whole reason the program was needed in the first place. Finally, all three main witnesses, Chegger, Wernick, and Schugart made clear that despite the opposition's claims to the contrary, there was no evidence that the prime minister or anyone in his office had put a thumb on the scale for We Charity. Chagger testified that she had no conversations with anyone in the PMO, and Wernick confirmed that she and her colleagues at ESDC were the ones who had determined that we's proposal was the best available option in the time we had to work with. And when Schugart was asked about possible back-channel communications between the Prime Minister and the Kilbergers, he was emphatic. There's absolutely no evidence, no suggestion in anything that I've reviewed that would suggest that the Prime Minister had any interaction with the WE Charity in relation to this program, none whatsoever. As I watched Shugart testify, Craig said, I thought that WE Charity might survive this. The most senior civil servant in the country testified how and why the civil service had selected us. He testified that it wasn't because of any political favors, he laid everything on the table. Schugart's assessment was confirmed by the independent ethics commissioner, Mario Dion, in the comprehensive report he issued 10 months later. The report may have helped Trudeau's political fortunes, but by that time, irreparable damage had already been done to We Charity. Mr. Trudeau's decision to approve the CSSG proposal with we as the administrator of the program was not, in my view, motivated by the identity of any third-party representative given the absence of a personal relationship between Mr. Trudeau and Messrs. Mark and Craig Kilberger, Dion wrote. The evidence also shows that Mr. Trudeau had no involvement in ESDC's recommendation that we administer the CSSG. I'm satisfied that Mr. Trudeau did not give preferential treatment to we. Debunking myths. That really should have been the end of it. The members of the FINA committee could all have shut down Zoom and called it a day. Instead, they pressed on with a series of star witnesses who had little to offer but theatrics. It was a cavalcade of attention seekers and puzzled nonprofit representatives who seemed to recognize that they had no insight into the CSSG, even if the opposition politicians did not. Among the former group was Canada Land's Jesse Brown who used his time to boast about his own reporting and recycle points. He had been fed by Kate Bayen of Charity Intelligence, a media go-to for negative commentary on We Charity. He was joined by Vivian Krause, a researcher, writer, and former conservative MP staffer, who in the past had questioned the credibility of groups advocating for forest conservation, indigenous rights, and action on climate change. She once gained some notoriety for alleging that foreign actors were funding Canadian environmental charities to besmirch the oil-sand sector and harm the energy industry. She has since backtracked on these allegations. On this day, Krauss offered up a slew of generalized complaints that could have applied to any charity and were based mostly on rumor, innuendo, and her own personal feelings. We charity had grown too quickly, she said, and accepted money from large corporations. It advertised job opportunities but she had only seen positions in sales and marketing. She did, however, make the stunning claim that the charity collected the personal data of children and other young people and then shared it with the Liberal Party. When asked what evidence she had of this last claim, she could only say, I've heard that they've done so. Despite the fact that this was by Krause's own admission unsubstantiated hearsay that would not be admissible in any court of law. Conservative MP Michael Barrett then amplified her assertion by formally complaining to the Office of Privacy Commissioner. I just about fell out of my chair when I heard that statement, Craig recalled. It was blatant political theater she made a claim that was completely false. A member of parliament then repeated her claim, demanding a national investigation by the privacy commissioner. The press went wow, and it was reported in the headlines across the country. It felt like we were part of some alternative reality and had no control over what was happening. As it turned out, WE Charity never shared any data with any political party. Yet, Krause's claim was reported widely in the press, including by CTV, La Presse, and the Toronto Sun. Even the Globe and Mail got in on the act with the headline, Federal Election Watchdog Looking Into WE Charity, researcher says. Months later, The nonpartisan office of the Privacy Commissioner of Canada would report that the claim was completely without merit. The contrast between Krauss and the previous witnesses couldn't have been starker. Throughout their testimony, Chegger, Warnick, and Sugar were professional and fact-driven, and they clearly and dispassionately refuted most of the opposition's spurious claims about the CSSG. They explained why there was no time for a lengthy bidding process, why We Charity was the only organization with the speed and reach to deliver the program, and who had made all these decisions in the first place. These were facts, not partisan spin. If any journalists had been so inclined, they could have easily uncovered these and similar facts for themselves and quickly debunked the myths that were circulating on the front pages of newspapers across the country. Canadians deserved that level of scrutiny and had a right to expect the press to do more than parrot opposition talking points without determining whether they were true. In the court of public opinion, only one side of the case was ever presented, and that contributed to much of the disinformation that infected the public consciousness and turned so many Canadians against a homegrown charity they had once supported and admired. Unfortunately, even when the facts were plainly laid out, many news outlets failed to cover them. The testimony of Chagger, Warnick and Schugart made barely a splash in the larger narrative of the We Charity scandal. Journalists moved on, always in search of that next big story, and that story would come with the very next witness. Thank you for listening. You can download more episodes of What We Lost wherever you get your podcast. To learn more about Tafik Rangwala's national bestseller or to buy the book, visit whatwelost.com and discover the real story behind the CSSG controversy.